Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Cabot. I'll uh, be uh, sharing the word with you in just a minute here. I want you to know that we are a congregation that prays. We love to pray for you, and I've seen that happen many times after service, people praying for one another. And if, if you feel like you need prayer, there are those communication cards and things you can put on the prayer list. But also, we'd love to just pray for you uh, here and now after service. So if that's uh, something that uh, you'd like to have, uh, please let us know. Also, we just had an elders retreat, and uh, many people wonder, what do you do at an elders retreat? Uh, at elders retreat, we started out with two hours of prayer, praying for people in the congregation by name. And uh, it, it is actually uh, labor. It's, it's, a, it's a really labor in a good way. Uh, so uh, I want you to know we're a praying congregation. Pray for one another and ask for prayer. Uh, it, and uh, I, I'm going to continue with that thought as, uh, as we pray right now. So if you'd please bow your heads. Uh, Father God, we come before you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, who lived amongst us at a particular time in history, for our sake and for your glory. In dying, Jesus saved us. In rising from the dead, Jesus ensured our hope as children of God. And now through your Holy Spirit, our hope is guaranteed. We come before you with grateful hearts. There are many good things that you have given to us, but none greater than yourself. You are the source of all good things. So, Father God, we rightfully praise your name because you are our inheritance. It is right and good that we give you thanks and praise. Father, teach us to bless others as you have blessed us. We pray that the community of this church will be a blessing to the surrounding community. Help us to be salt and light, to cling to the truth, to serve well, and to share the good news you have given to us with those we live amongst, just as Jesus did. God, we pray for the children in our congregation that this next generation would be blessed and be agents of your blessing to a world that desperately needs you. Now, Father, we pray that you open our eyes and ears and hearts to your truth as we spend time in your word. Let Jesus' name ever be praised. Amen. Well, as many of you know, LifeSpring is building a place to gather to bless the neighborhood schools and families in the surrounding area. And uh, this first phase of the 21-acre project is uh, a church uh, being constructed right now. Uh, so this week, I actually had the opportunity to go up in a uh, World War I Stearman biplane and circle the property. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I know that the drone probably takes better images, but uh, I, I just had to share this with you. And I was holding my phone desperately close <laughs> because it was an open cockpit, so I, I, I didn't want to pay the price, the ultimate price of putting my phone out there. Uh, so I, I want to just uh, do a shout out for uh, Rick Martinez and uh, Claude Sunday for, uh, for helping make that happen. So. Uh, now, we are continuing a, uh, a series called Bless. Uh, we have, uh, basically, it's the answer to how can uh, the community of this church bless the surrounding community, just as we have said. How can we bless the neighborhoods and schools and uh, the, the people of the surrounding area? How can we do that? And so uh, we have this acronym, Bless. We began uh, with a B, begin with prayer. Uh, and the L for listen. So we did both of those these last two Sundays. And in the future, we'll be doing serve and share. But now we're in the middle of the word bless, which is eat. 
And I, I've, I've had several people say, what are you going to do with eat? I mean, uh, you know, how are we going to eat to the glory of God? How are we going to bless people through eating? But uh, let me just ask this, who likes to eat? Who, has to, who needs to eat? You know, I, if you don't have your hand up, you should. Everyone has to eat. <laughs> Some hands are higher than others. Um, well, today we're going to learn about an important concept called table fellowship. Table fellowship. It has to do with eating. And uh, specifically, we're going to speak about the theology of food, uh, eating redemptively, and blessing others through eating. So here is the one thing, if you don't remember anything else, uh, and it is scripture, that I would like you to remember from this morning. It's from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, for, for eating, uh, how to some evidence on why I believe there actually is a strong theology in Scripture regarding eating. And it, it revolves around God's design, uh, God's word, and God's table. God's design, God's word, and God's table. So we all eat and drink, uh, not necessarily the same kind of food or the same kind of drink, uh, but there's not one of us that doesn't eat or drink. It's sort of an inescapable part of life. And an article by Healthline.com explains when your body needs energy, it releases certain hormones letting your brain know that you're hungry. So the resulting signals from your body may manifest as thoughts about food. So let me ask you, how much time do you spend thinking about eating? What do you think? On an average day, how much time do you spend thinking about eating? Uh, let's see, you know, 10 minutes, 20, 30, 40, you know. All right. Well, another website, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, said we think on average about four times a day about eating, averaging about 40 minutes thinking about food. That, that seems excessive to me, but it, it could be true. Uh, here's the point. God has hardwired us to require food. We are designed to need food. We're designed to think about food. It's not a mistake, it's not a surprise that we would have to re be required to have food. It's, it's how we are made. And then if we want to talk about God's word, um, you know, food and drink are a big deal for everyone on the planet, but it's also a very big deal in scripture. What's the first book in the Bible that talks about eating? Go ahead, you can answer. Genesis. What's the last book in the Bible that talks about eating? Revelation. Yeah, those are the bookends of the Bible, and almost every book in between. Not, not every single one, but most of the books of the Bible have something to do with eating and drinking of significance. And so it's, it's a strong theology. Now, it's no surprise that when uh, the, the Lord visited Abraham, that the first thing he did is make a meal for them. It's no surprise that Jesus, on the night before he died, uh, offered the Lord's Supper to his disciples. There's a strong theology of food in Scripture. And uh, two weeks ago, as we studied the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructed us to pray for our daily bread. We're asked to pray for, pray about food. And this, of course, is the Word of God, but it also points to the fact that God designed us to need Him daily, regularly. We can't survive without God. Now, the third 
part uh, of the, the third pillar I'd like to point in, in the theology of food. So the first one, the first one is God designed us in such a way that we have to eat, and God's making a big deal out of Scripture. In fact, there's a redemptive thread that goes through Scripture. The, the third point I'd like to highlight here is about God's table. So we talked about uh, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, and uh, the idea is that um, that our, the, his body is broken for us, his blood is shed for us, so that we can be redeemed. But he used food as imagery. Why did Jesus use food and then ask us again and again and again? Uh, we here at Life Spring Community Church celebrate part of our worship. God wants us. To, we because it points the lamb, three tables, a table at the beginning that we sort of messed up in, a table that we're redeemed through with the Lord's Supper, and the table that we're invited to, the wedding feast, the lamb. We'll be talking more about that. So food helps us to understand our relationship with God. We are dependent creatures, but God abundantly provides. We're creatures in need of redemption. But God has mercifully been merciful as demonstrated by the table of Jesus, and we are communal creatures, and God has called us to sit at the table with one another so that others may sit at the table with God. Uh, so let's take a look at how the theology of redemptive table fellowship plays out in the passage that you heard, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. So this passage begins on the road. Jesus goes by a, a, a tax booth. Uh, some versions say it's a tax office, but Matthew's sitting at the tax table. He's collecting taxes, and he's not a popular guy. In fact, uh, one of the possibilities, what is he collecting taxes on? One of the possibilities is he may be collecting taxes on fish. Imagine how that went down with Jesus' disciples. So he's, he is, uh, he's not a popular guy. He's sort of in league with the Romans because this is a Roman commission, and these are people occupying the, the country. And so the tax collectors are lumped with a group called sinners, people who are uh, not in line with God. They're not seeking God. They're living contrary to God's ways, and tax collectors are right there with them. It's unlikely that Jesus saw Matthew the first time in this passage, uh, likely that Jesus had many times talked to Matthew. But this time, Jesus called Matthew away from his table. He called him away from the tax table and he said, Matthew, follow me. Now, unlike the fishermen uh, that Jesus had called, the, the, who could go back to their trade any time, uh, it's unlikely Matthew could ever go back if he left that table because he's leaving a Roman commission. He's leaving his livelihood. And yet he got up and he left his table and he followed Jesus. I want to put these in redemptive terms. When we talk about uh, repenting, the idea is that we turn. Matthew turned from his table, and he went with Jesus. But where did he go with, uh, with Jesus to? Well, um, says, uh, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and with his disciples. So, 
Matthew has become one of Jesus' disciples. It should, you know, I mean, if you were going to create a disciple, if you were going to help disciple someone else, uh, what would you do? Maybe you'd read scripture with them, you'd uh, pray with them, you'd teach them to pray, you know, all, all the things that you would teach them, but would you go eat with them? Jesus, no doubt, did those other things, but it says he went and he ate with Matthew. Now, Matthew's friends, no surprise, are people who are also tax collectors and sinners. They are people that would be uh, not, um, the, they're not the religious crowd, and they're not acceptable to the religious crowd. They're not acceptable to Pharisees who are fastidious about following the law. And yet, Jesus went to the table of Matthew's house. So the calling of Matthew Levi is the calling of a sinner to follow Jesus. Matthew is not chosen for his outstanding qualifications, but rather his understanding of his need and his willingness to accept the invite. He is physically seated at a tax station, and he's called to leave the table, and he goes and sits and eats with Jesus. Now, the Pharisees ask a question. You remember the question they asked? Why are, what is up here? Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But did the Pharisees ask that question of Jesus? No, they're asking the question of Jesus' disciples. They're trying to undermine Jesus' authority and, and speak to the disciples about it. Jesus overhears them. And, uh, and so it, it, it seems like it's a compromising circumstance I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but uh, maybe you have been in a situation where you were with people that uh, are of, of perhaps dubious character or profession or whatever, and somebody else sees you that is, uh, is among the righteous and, uh, and is disapproving of that. Uh, that's what's going on here. So what Jesus says is uh, he, doesn't, he does not address his disciples, but he addresses the Pharisees, and he answers their complaint directly with a quote. Now, God instructs the prophet, uh, the nation Israel. And so Jesus is quoting from this book, and he said, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is Hosea 6.6. 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. So Hosea speaks of God's complaint against his people. They don't truly love and acknowledge God, but they're caught up with the function of religious worship. God wants his people to love him and have compassion on one another. And so love for God, compassion upon his people, is why Jesus is sitting at Matthew's table. It has to do with the idea of mercy. So Jesus' invitation at this table was for sinners to eat with him, to follow him, to enter his kingdom, and his invitation to the Pharisees was what? Go back and look at Scripture again. Maybe you haven't quite got it. Uh, you're thinking that it has to do with following all the rules and what it really has to do with God being merciful to sinners and sitting at the table in their midst and calling them to another table. So the story of Matthew's table is actually the story of three tables. The table of the tax collector's booth, the table, Matthew's table in his house, and the table in the future for the wedding feast of the Lamb that Jesus is being merciful, inviting 
all the people sitting with him into a future table. So there are two views of this table uh, at, that are taking place right here. One, I would say, is separation with the fear of association. So that's what the religious people here are, are feeling. Separation with the fear of association. We don't want to associate with these people. We want to separate from them because if we come close to them, we might become polluted or others might judge us for sitting with them. That's one view. The other one is association, I think, with intentionality. Jesus didn't just sit at the table to become like the, the rest of the folks there. He sat at that table as a representative of God's kingdom. He was representing God's kingdom. He called a man away from his table previously, whatever table he was sitting at before. He sat with him at his imperfect table in his house, and he called him to a future table of the future kingdom. Well, um, how can we bless others by eating together? Uh, I want to say, um, I think, first of all, we seek the good of others. We want to seek the good of others. Second, we want to eat and drink for God's glory. And third, we want to eat with that other table, the table of the wedding feast in mind. These are three points from that passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And then there's a whole discussion of eating meat in the marketplace and when you should eat and when you shouldn't eat. And, and we're not going to go too much in depth on that passage. But the, idea, but the idea of no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And we're talking about eating and drinking. How would that transformation should seek be we sat with some because we're exercising our liberty in Christ? Or if we sat with someone who is having a drink, would we tell them that, uh, no, you shouldn't have a drink because that's not what Christians do? Neither of those are right. Our eating and drinking is situational for the glory of God. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. That should inform how we eat and drink and who we would eat and drink with. Would we go to Matthew's table, the table of sinners, the table of, of irreputable people? We might say that we would, but when we see people and smell them and hear them here, there might be certain tables we don't want to walk into. And maybe we shouldn't. But if God is calling us to, we should. We should be willing to walk into someone else's table uh, and then eating and drinking for God's glory. Uh, I, I think that goes hand in hand with what, uh, this, this first one, seeking the good of others. God wants us to be agents, his agents of his kingdom for his glory. And so if we go into some other table where people are, uh, are perhaps not in line with uh, what, what God would want them to do. Perhaps they're doing things that uh, they shouldn't be doing or thinking the ways they shouldn't be thinking. We don't get sucked in right along with them. We still represent Christ in their midst. It doesn't mean that we tell them what they shouldn't do necessarily, uh, but it does mean that we don't do the things we shouldn't do in that community. And so it's, it, it's not easy. 
Um, perhaps you, you've been in that kind of situation where you're in a group of people and you feel a little uncomfortable, and sometimes that's just okay. You can feel a little bit uncomfortable and pray that God will give you the grace to, to get through that. But we want to, as the church, we want to be involved in the community in every aspect. We, as people of God, want to be representatives of the kingdom in every particular situation that we're in. We want to eat and drink for God's glory. We want to submit that thing to God's glory. Uh, and then uh, eating with that other table in mind. So if we think that this food reminds us, so theologically, this food reminds us of God's provision for us. God created us as dependent creatures. We are not creatures that exist of ourselves. We're creatures that exist uh, with the dependence of God in mind, and God abundantly provides for us. So it should help our hearts to be grateful to him and thankful to him. That's how God designed us to be. We are dependent creatures that should just thank God and, uh, for what he has done for us and, and re uh, rejoice in him above anything that he's given us. That is what the function of eating and drinking is for. And so if we think about the ultimate goal, the telos of that whole thing at the, at the end, God is going to be abundantly providing for us at that wedding feast of the Lamb when uh, the church and is the bride of Christ, when all things are consummated, uh, we will be, um, in a sense, at the table of the Lord. And that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. There'll be nothing lacking and we will not forgive, forget to give thanks for that meal. So those are three ways that we can bless by eating. But I think we probably need something a little more practical than that uh, so that we can do something this next week based upon that. So uh, a couple thoughts in, in that regard. If you go to that next uh, slide there. Um, we brought this up before. You have a neighborhood map. There are neighbors around you. It, it, this might work for you, it might not, but uh, if, if you were to write down the neighbors around you and pray for them, uh, if God gives you an opportunity to listen to them, and then maybe God will give you the opportunity to eat with them. It might be that uh, you invite them to your house for a meal. might be that you go out for coffee might be that you host an ice cream social for your neighborhood at your house. What does that look like? I, I don't know. But pray about how God might allow you to eat with your neighbors. Let's go one more slide here. And then um, I, I think it would be helpful if we, uh, if we put away excuses. Um, some of us, hospitality uh, comes more naturally than others. It is a, it is a gift, and some people it, it just is easier than others. Uh, but that's no excuse for not doing it. We all need to be, um, be hospitable. And by hospitable, I'm going to define that for us, it means welcoming people into our presence. By extension, welcoming them into our home or wh whatever else that means, but welcoming people into our presence for the glory of God. And so um, we may say we don't like people in our home, and that, that's fine. Maybe we meet them in a coffee shop or some other place. But I want to tell you, maybe you think your home is not good enough for people to come to. Or maybe you think that your home's too good for certain people to come to because you think they'll judge you. Um, I've been in both situations. I just tell you, don't worry about what your home is like, whether it's nice or bad or whatever your home is like, it's your home. 
invite people into it. Don't worry about whether it's dirty or whatever else. Um, if, you, if, the, if it's important to you, clean it up first. But welcome people into your home, your presence. Um, put away the excuse that you don't want them there. And then um, uh, the second excuse I would say is put away a fear of what others might say. If you enter a certain place, people might um, say things about you. Uh, I personally have entered the bar, and I've gone and been intentional about uh, talking to people there. And, uh, and, you know, hey, the pastor just went in the bar. I'm less, I should be less worried about somebody who says, I went and did this, than not following through with God, what God's calling me to do. And you should, too. We should be more concerned about what God thinks than what other people think, even other Christian believers that might point a finger at us. Um, and then, uh, I wouldn't know what to say. You know, some people struggle with small talk or, you know, kind of beginning to get to know somebody. And, but, you know, if, if, uh, just let your curiosity go. Um, where do you grow up? What do you do for fun? Just if you notice something about them, bring it up. And, the, and if they're excited about it, they'll talk about it. Uh, but my favorite question of all is, uh, if, if you get a, point, a chance to say it, is uh, what is your faith background? And people actually want to talk about that. Probably 75% of people you to some really friends or neighbors. Any questions, see where it goes. Challenge us. To, who can you eat with this week? Think of one person or one family and just do it um, with intentionality. And then how can I pray and plan to eat with intentionality? So let's do one this week and let's pray about and plan for the future and regarding to eating for the glory of God. Uh, and then the, the final one here is I would say, um, sometimes it's hard th to do things alone. So if you're struggling to get a little traction here for praying, listening, eating, those sorts of things, find a blessed buddy. Find somebody in your household, your neighborhood, here in the congregation that wants to, to join you in partnering for the glory of God. Well, let's go one more here. Uh, I would like you to, we'll close with this, but I would like you to repeat it with me because I think this is, uh, this is really the sum of the whole thing here. So uh, please, uh, and, and, and wake up. If you're asleep right now, wake up. Let's, let's be a little lively here. Uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, it, it, uh, let it do heart surgery on us. Uh, maybe there's some, uh, we've struggled to enter into certain environments, or maybe we're in a certain environment and we, we struggle to be a Christian in them. Uh, Lord, help us to eat and drink to your glory. Help us to submit the functions of life, whatever they are, to you, Lord, that we would, uh, when we have a meal, that we would say grace. That when we uh, go out and, um, and, and see a group of people that, that uh, maybe we've, we, uh, we feel called to, but we're, we're just a little nervous about it, Lord, that we would uh, have the courage to move forward with that, Lord, and, and that we as a congregation would be unified in our desire to glorify you, Lord, and to bless the community around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.